Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, rallying for a higher minimum wage in Mississippi. A lot of people assume that people that work in fast foods, that they don't have education. A lot of the workers do have education. A lot of them have been to college right here in this state. They're workers who've gone to school to try to better themselves. Then the board in charge of authorizing charter schools in the state denies a request to open three new schools. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on learning lessons for life and the state of obesity in Mississippi and across the country. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi workers are joining a nationwide campaign to rally for an increase in the minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 per hour. Supporters of the movement rallied at the state capitol yesterday, calling it a moral issue. Pastor Thomas Jenkins of Jackson says many people laboring at the current minimum wage can't make ends meet. He says it's not just fast food workers, but daycare staff and adjunct college professors who are not paid a livable wage. Jenkins tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, it's important to raise the moral consciousness of political leaders about the issue. We want to see equality in wages. Here in Mississippi and across the country, many people make less than $15 an hour. And when you make less than $15 an hour, you cannot live a productive life. You cannot buy insurance. You cannot have affordable housing. You cannot even really buy the food that you need for your kids because 15 when you make less than $15 an hour, you can't do that. $15 is still a stretch, but we need people to make a livable wage so that they can exist here in America in a fair way. You say you were in Virginia recently. What was that about? In Virginia, there were delegates together. Gathered, there were 4,000 delegates that gathered from all over the country for the fight for 15. It included every area, not just the fast food workers. It included the daycare workers. It included college professors, everybody that makes less than $15 an hour. In our nation, we have 64 million people that make less than $15 an hour. So that group was gathered there. We gathered there on Friday and Saturday to come together with everybody to hear testimonies and to be motivated to go back to our states to continue this fight. What's the challenge for folks working uh, for that 725 an hour in Mississippi? You talked about um, the housing. What are the issues that really concern you? The issues that really concern me is, is that it seems like there's, a not, there's not a lot of cooperation here in our state for, for among leaders and even among clergy to understand that this is a real life issue. When you see people suffering, I've looked in the faces of people who make $7.25 an hour, who cannot feed their children, who cannot live in affordable housing. And 
and many of them can't even afford to send their kids to daycare or wherever they need to go. It's a real struggle, and it's quite painful. I've been to third world countries, but I say that in America, if we're not careful, we're building another third world country right here in America. From an economic uh, point of view, I've talked to an economic professor at Millsaps, and he explained that it's not so much the minimum wage, but it's an issue of education and workforce training because the jobs that pay minimum wage weren't designed for families to live off. They were supposed to be a stepping stone. I just met with the lady in Virginia who happened to have a master's degree. She was working at fast food because there were no jobs available in her area. So there are a lot of people that that's kind of a misnomer. A lot of people assume that people that work in fast foods, that they don't have education. A lot of the workers do have education. A lot of them have been to college. I met a lot of them when I was in Virginia, right here in this state. There are workers who've gone to school to try to better themselves. So it's not that's what people want everybody to think, that it's just a, a little uh, part-time job, but even if it is a part-time job, people deserve fairness. Why should the guy who owns the McDonald's make more and more and more? Why can he help that person who's in school? Because a lot of people in school have children. A lot of people in school have the same responsibilities of people that are not in school. So it's fair either way because corporate America has continued to get richer and richer while the poor has gotten poorer and poorer. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Pastor Thomas Jenkins. Bob Neal is a senior economist at the University Research Center in Jackson. He tells Desiree Fraser higher wages usually follow higher skills. There are a number of states that either default to the federal minimum wage or have set a minimum wage that is, in most cases, higher than that. And uh, Mississippi has chosen to use the federal minimum wage. What does it mean for Mississippians from an economic standpoint and what you study having a minimum wage that is $7.25 an hour? The minimum wage was, uh, was never meant to be a livable wage. That was a wage that employers could offer to give predominantly younger people an opportunity to enter the workforce and get some experience working. There has been significant unemployment or underemployment, uh, not just in Mississippi, but across the nation, where many people who no longer fit that description of younger looking for their first opportunity to work uh, have, have entered the workforce, and they are working in those jobs that once were considered to be not, not the kind of employment that one sought or obtained as, as a livable wage. So this transition from what it was intended to accomplish to what it accomplishes today puts people in a position where if they don't have the skills or the the education or training to obtain the kind of employment that was that would typically support an individual or even a household then that wage even if they were able to get you know 40 hours of work per week isn't really enough to to support a household you know the issue that has been taking place across the nation for some time now, raising the minimum wage is likely to have a depressing impact on employment. Uh, in Mississippi, I'm, I, I believe that raising the minimum wage would, be, would come at the expense of, of job growth. Why? Why would that happen? The kinds of businesses that have positions that they pay at minimum wage, and, and there, there are lots of businesses out there that pay entry-level workers more than seven twenty-five an hour, but there are still lots of businesses out there that have some positions, particularly for new employees, uh, younger employees that don't have any tangible training that they can uh, they can take to the to the market. Still pay a seven twenty-five uh, minimum wage, 
but businesses that use a lot of employees that that they start out at 7.25 an hour have a business model in place that accounts for that's what their labor cost is and and then once they add in all their other business expenses, they will find that if they have to pay more for their employees, uh, they will have to do what they do with fewer employees uh, because that's uh, just the nature of, uh, of the business environment. MPB's Desiree Fraser with economist Bob Neal on the possibility of a $15 minimum wage in Mississippi. In other news, there will be no new charter schools opening in Mississippi next year. Charter schools are privately owned and operated, but are attended mostly by students from public schools. They're part of a growing school choice movement in Mississippi. MPB's Paul Boger explains. Mississippi charter school authorizers rejected a plan by Ohio-based ICANN schools to open a number of new charters in Jackson. The state authorizer board voted against the charter operator 4-2 to two yesterday, citing concerns over mixed academic performances of some of the group's newer schools. Board President Tommy Cardin says the state needs to uphold high standards. We're trying to balance the interest of, of acquiring quality operators while at the same time ensuring that the highest standards are met and that our laws are followed. So there, there's an inherent tension there, but that's why we are here as a board, is to try to work through that and reach decisions that are in the best interest of our children. New Orleans-based Collegiate Academies withdrew its application for a high school in Jackson after it was also recommended for rejection. There are only three charter schools operating in Mississippi. All of them are in Jackson, with a fourth scheduled to open next year. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on learning lessons for life. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein, director of MPB Radio. It's time for our fall drive, but we're changing the game this year. Our goal is to raise the cost of all things considered. One drive, one day, $100,000. Like other state agencies, MPB's budget has been cut. So we need your help now more than ever. Your contribution combined with other members makes a huge difference. And this year, it's only one day, one drive, $100,000. Friday on MPB Think Radio. And thank you. One day, one drive, one goal, $100,000. We need $100,000 to pay the cost of all things considered. Help us reach our goal during a one-day drive on Friday. To give now, visit mpbonline.org. On the next Fresh Air, Roastmaster General Jeff Ross. He's roasted everyone from Rob Lowe to Donald Trump, inmates at a jail, and the Boston police. What's up, BPD? You're under a roast. Next, I want to attempt my most dangerous roast ever, roasting an audience of armed policemen. (laughs) Join us. Today at 3 on MPB Think Radio. Albert Sykes says teachers are important, not just school teachers, but life teachers. One of the lessons he tries to teach his son is about the importance of using politics to make your community a better place. Here, Albert Sykes is interviewed by his son, Aiden, at the Jackson Stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour. So, Dad, what's your most vivid memory as a teenager? The funniest memory I have is being in class, being in high school, in my 10th grade English class and going to sleep. And I was sleep like I was just kind of detached from school. My grandmother had just passed right before 
school started and I transferred to a new school. So I was sad about her and lonely because I didn't know most of these folks that I was in school with. And I remember going to sleep in the class. And the next thing I know was just a big thud that shook my body. And what happened was the teacher had called a security guard to come to the classroom and pick my desk up off the ground and drop it down to wake me up. But at the same time, and I had never had any interaction with this lady, but at the same time that it woke me up, it literally woke me up because, you know, this was two or three months into the school year, and this lady saw something in me, and she wouldn't give up on me and to the point that she was bothering me about really becoming engaged in her class and coming and becoming engaged in school. Yep, I just remember that when that security guard dropped my desk, it woke me up for class, but it also woke me up to get through high school and, and to get myself back on track. So, Dad, why do you want to become a teacher? I don't want to become a teacher by profession. The classroom wasn't the only place that people learned. So I wanted to be a teacher of life and of of what it's like to move in society and do what's right. So I feel like I was your first teacher. You being in the house and learning words and learning how to make different sounds and how to do different things with your body and getting to the point that you're learning ABCs and colors and stuff like that. That's the type of teacher I want to be, not necessarily in the classroom, but a person that can really share stuff with other folks anywhere that I go. And so I wanted to be a teacher because I think it's necessary that we not only go out and get professions that let us live comfortably and have money, but I think we all carry stories that we have to share. I think our stories are kind of the things that help our communities and our families to survive. And particularly the story of Mississippi is something that I felt like I always wanted to share and teach with anybody that's willing to sit down and and be a, a willing set of ears to listen to what I think about this state and where I think we can go with it. And then uh, the other part of teaching is learning and listening. I've been fortunate enough to learn from and listen to some of the greatest minds that ever come through Mississippi, like Frank Figures, who I just was talking with before you came, Derek Johnson and Nashambe Lambright and so many other folks in Mississippi who have been stalwarts in leading this state forward. So that's the type of teacher I want to be. I want to be a teacher like the folks who really opening this state up and moving us forward. So, Dad, why do you take me to protest so much? I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is just that I want you to see what it looks like and feels like when people come together. And I don't think we ever been to two protests or two gatherings that were about the same issue. So you've been with me when I've been places where it's been solely about education or where it's been solely about voting or where it's been about immigrant rights and so many different other issues. And I want you to see what it's like for people to come together, but also for you to see the diversity of reasons and issues that bring people together so that when you start to figure out what you want to do with your life, I want you to be able to see how people feel like their lives are intertwined with each other and how their success is dependent upon each other. The first protest I remember is going to a car wash. (laughs) It was exciting, helping. It was about a fundraiser for YPP. So that wasn't a protest? (laughs) 
<laughs> but that was that was one event that you yeah. went to. But that's not a protest. A, a protest is like the when we go to the places and the people have the signs and they talking on the microphone and you got a bunch of different speakers saying different stuff or when we marching or stuff like that. Those protests. Do. I don't remember not one of those. <laughs> okay. That was so long ago. <laughs> to hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. On the next Fresh Air, Roastmaster General Jeff Ross. He's roasted everyone from Rob Lowe to Donald Trump, inmates at a jail, and the Boston police. What's up, BPD? You're under a roast. Next, I want to attempt my most dangerous roast ever, roasting an audience of armed policemen. (laughs) Join us. Today at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live in infamy. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Daily at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Have you ever taken a week to do something that you know you could have easily done in just one day? I think we all have. But Friday, MPB Radio is putting procrastination off for a one-day, $100,000 drop. We're asking you to help us raise the entire cost of all things considered in just one day. So for just one day, we need everyone who loves MPB Radio to call 888-372-GIVE or visit mpbonline.org and let's knock this drive out in one day. It's the one-day, $100,000 drive this Friday on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is tied for second place as the most obese state in America. That's according to the recent report, The State of Obesity, Better Policies for a Healthier America. The report is released annually by the Trust for America's Health and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Alabama and West Virginia are also in second place. Louisiana is ranked as the most obese state in the nation in this current report. The report The report looks at trends in childhood obesity, as well as adult obesity rates and obesity disparities among racial and ethnic groups. We spoke with Victoria Brown, Senior Program Officer of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She says the obesity rankings in the report are data-driven. The way this study is conducted is um, taking data from the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, which is the largest ongoing telephone health survey in the world. It is a state-based system of health surveys established by the Centers for Disease Control. It completes about more than 400,000 adult interviews a year and is the only source of population-based health behavior data about chronic disease prevalence and behavioral risk factors. So it's the gold standard of data of this kind. Let's go right to Mississippi. How does Mississippi rank? Unfortunately, not very well. Um, You come in tied with West Virginia and Alabama for the second highest adult obesity rate in the country. Um, Louisiana has um, the highest adult obesity rate. Um, Mississippi has a current adult obesity rate of about 35.6%. Your childhood obesity rate, your number one among the states for childhood obesity rates, kids 10 to 17 years old. So unfortunately, not in a very good place. Let's talk about some of the reasons why that might be. 
can it have to do with Mississippi being a poor state? I've been asked this question a lot, and one of the things that one of the reasons I've worked in the in the fight against childhood obesity and for over a decade now, and one of the reasons I'm attracted to the issue is the complexity of the issue. So unfortunately, you can't say there's one reason why Mississippi has the second highest adult obesity rate and high rates of childhood obesity. It's a whole host of factors. So yes, it would be that Mississippi certainly is a poor state. Um, There are cultural issues at play around food and our attitudes towards food and the types of food we eat and consume and physical activity. There's a lack of infrastructure to support it. In order to advance and, and get to be a lower rank, which is what you want, there has to be a whole host of things and investments in prevention, school policies that get kids moving more, that get kids eating healthier food, cultural shifts so that there's better attitudes towards consuming fruit and vegetables and drinking water over um, highly caloric processed foods. There needs to be walkable communities. That means that they have to be safe communities. There needs to be opportunities for physical activity, ways for doctors to engage with patients around issues of prevention, improved health care, um, and it really needs to target the entirety of a community, not just kids, not just adults. Let me ask, you said it, some of it has to do with cultural, our cultural relationship to food. What does that mean? I think that these are um, weighty topics. The types of food you eat, I, you can tell by my voice. I'm originally from Arkansas. Arkansas is my home state. I live in Texas. The foods we eat down south, some of them don't really fall very high on the health factor. That's a way, that's part of our culture, that's part of our pride of being from the South, but you have to be able to have those kinds of high-fat, high high-caloric high foods that also have plenty of fruits and vegetables in between. Now, that sounds simple enough, but that gets high, much more complicated when those fruits and vegetables might not be fresh, might be hard to main, might be hard to obtain, and might be expensive. And so it's not necessarily somebody's fault, but it might be an access issue. You know, where's the closest grocery store? Where's attractive produce? As well as a cultural issue, you know, that I grew up eating fried chicken or I grew up eating some other type of highly fattening food, and I'm just not used to eating these kinds of foods. So this takes a a shift. Yeah, I saw that um, the majority or the highest ranked, lowest ranked, I'm not sure how it falls, the the most obese were in the South and the Midwest. So is that tied to the cultural relationship to food? Uh, You know, I think it's the cultural relationship to food. It's also that a lot of these states happen to be the poorest states. They might not have the infrastructure investments. So it's not just about food. It's about the whole picture, um, both food, physical activity, health care opportunities. So it's, it's in, across the gamut. But nine of the 11 top states are, um, nine of the 11 states with the highest obesity rates are in the south, and 22 of the 25 states with the highest obesity rates are in the south and the Midwest. What was the skinniest state? Um, You know, the four states that have a decrease in adult obesity are Minnesota, Montana, New York, and Ohio, and Colorado has the lowest obesity rate. Why? You know, it's Colorado. You know, there's a whole (laughs) multitude of factors. You know, there's a Does altitude have anything to do with it? (laughs) I know. I wish it was that simple. Um, You know, Colorado, it has great rates of physical activity, great investments in infrastructure, opportunities to get out there, to get active. Um, There's a culture around movement and perhaps a culture around healthier eating. But in all these states, the ones that have seen these positive trends, 
you really see that it's a confluence of things coming together, that it's people taking a comprehensive approach involving multiple sectors, that it's easier for people to access opportunities for eating healthfully and being physical active, and that there are long-term commitments towards prevention. Victoria Brown is the Senior Program Officer for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Victoria, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember to download our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you'd like. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. It's Marketplace Tech for Tuesday the 